think as the digital transformation has occurred, people's expectations have gone up dramatically more. <laughs> that was the Australian Commissioner for Taxation, Chris Jordan, talking about why tech changes result in tax agents expecting more from regulators and why that has a knock-on effect for your clients. G'day, I'm David Boyer, and welcome back to the CA Catalyst podcast. In this episode, we're talking RegTech, regulation technology, and we're fortunate to hear more from Chris as we chat about his tips for the future and the tech focus of the ATO. We also speak about new RegTech, like e-invoicing. Before I'm joined by Milan Cooper from First AML and Anthony Quinn from Arctic Intelligence to talk about the impact anti-money laundering procedures have had on New Zealand firms and get a glimpse of what Aussie practitioners can look forward to in the future. But to get started, let's have a look at how far RegTech has come. Joining us now is Ron Lesh, the founder and CEO of BGL Corporate Compliance, a company that's been producing RegTech for 30 years. When you reflect on the people who were in our industry 30 years ago, there aren't very many of them still around today. In fact, really none in the form that they were 30 years ago. So uh, it's quite an achievement. How do you describe what RegTech is? Well, RegTech is regulatory technology. So any technology that's going to help you to solve a regulatory problem. There's all sorts of different regulations that we have been, uh, I suppose, uh, put upon us in, in Australia that we need to cover, be it ASIC, be it tax office, uh, be it a hundred other places where we've got government authorities that uh, provide regulation and we need some technology to handle it. For the average accountant out there, what's the biggest difference between RegTech 30 years ago and RegTech today? Oh, look, definitely the cloud and the automation that wasn't available then. What you can do now to automate a lot of what are pretty mundane regulatory type roles and jobs and and tasks that need to be done. Today, you can automate a lot of those. You know, you don't have to sit there and punch bank statements anymore. You you don't have to sit there and punch uh, transactions for stock stockbrokers or any of those things. Uh, and just in, in our context, you don't have to do annual returns or any more. We don't have annual returns. We've now got annual reviews and we can automate those processes. So there's just a lot of stuff that, that you can just automate today that you couldn't do 30 years ago. The benefits of automation are pretty widely spoken about in mass media, but tangibly on the ground, what can a firm expect by automating something as simple as company corporate secretarial compliance? Well, look, I suppose from what we see at the moment, if it's taking you 15 minutes to do an annual review, when you move to our cloud, on our desktop software, if you move to our cloud software, it takes you three or four minutes to do the same thing because of the automation around that. And soon it will take you no time at all because we'll automate that whole process of of sending it out. So we're really going from a task that's maybe 15, 20 minutes on the desktop to zero in the cloud. How important is collaboration between the regulators and private innovators like BGL? Oh, look, I think that's incredibly important. I think that we see things from a client, from a customer perspective, whereas the regulators see stuff from a regulatory perspective. And often the two in terms of practicalities are a long, to- a long way apart. What's next for RegTech? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, look, I... Yeah, people ask us, how do you plan for six months ahead or 12 months ahead? And in the, with the speed of things changing at the moment, I find that very difficult. I think we're just going to see more and more automation around regulatory tasks. Anything that can be automated will be automated. It's a matter of really how it is automated to get the best effect. From the last 30 years to the modern way tech solves problems, 
we now hear from Tax Commissioner Chris Jordan. I started by asking him how important the relationship between the tax agent and the ATO is. It's absolutely fundamental uh, for the system to actually work, that we have a good relationship with tax agents and that tax agents are well informed about uh, the current changes to the laws, our current processes, because in many respects, tax agents are, are our first line of auditors. The system just wouldn't work without a very vibrant, strong, professional tax agent profession. So uh, a large number of individuals still have tax agents preparing returns for them. Well over 90% of all businesses, and I think that figure will stay up there at well over 90% of uh, businesses, use a tax agent. So we must be able to work with them, co-design what is suitable what they want. We've done a lot of, a real lot of uh, change recently with our new online services. Early reports are that the new tax agent portal has been very well received and you used a word then, co-design, which is a very on-trend business world. Collaborative design and user experience and the customer journey are sort of things that you're seeing popping up in new, well, airport management books, let's call them. How deliberate do you have to be about choosing to design a service in collaboration with its users rather than perhaps historically where, you know, you could easily just sit in an ivory tower, come up with a solution, say we have to use it because there's nothing else? Well, the latter is actually what the tax office used to do years ago. People would uh, spend a lot of time designing a really well-engineered, often overly complex, definitely <laughs> overly sort of difficult to use, and then roll that out saying, look at this wonderful thing we have for you. And people would sort of say, well, actually, I, that's not quite what I want. And I used to refer to it in some respects as um, us building the Rolls-Royce, but taking forever to get it out of the garage, whereas that good old Holden running down the road is pretty much good enough. So you can't do things in isolation. And one of the big things I've tried to embed here is to put yourself in the shoes of your customers, your clients. What do they actually want? You can't do that by sitting in an office. That means by definition, you need to go out there. So we visited literally hundreds of tax agents, sat down with them at their computer, watching them use our facilities and asking them what they liked about it and what they did not like about it. So we've been actually banging on about co-design and collaboration for well over six years now. And uh, I think it has really helped in the relationship uh, particularly because most of the uh, organisation, the CAs in particular, approach this with a, a really, a, a really serious "how can I help my members" attitude, rather than you know a bit superficial and I'll throw some rocks maybe later on when it doesn't work. 
We talk a lot on CA Catalyst about moving up the value chain and definitely if there are members listening to those comments right now, there's certainly resources in the CA Catalyst community to help you make that change and people who can help you do that with you. The last uh, probably five years at the tax office, we've seen a lot of digital change. You have a very large digital transformation budget. Uh, You also have, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the ATO legal is able to collect and retain more data points for each Australian than any other government agency. Is that closely correct? I'm not actually sure of that one. I've not heard it put in that way. Uh, We hold a lot of information about people's um, income and uh, some other aspects and we exchange information with DHS, but you would be surprised at the extraordinary restrictions on the sharing of information that you do have. Even with law enforcement agencies, I, I think a lot of citizens would presume that if there was an investigation by the Australian Federal Police that they would be able to talk to us about the financial affairs of some of the people they're interested in. Because if if they say, well, this person hasn't had a job in 15 years, they're worth five to $10 million, we think they're involved in some sort of criminal activity, whether it's making ice or or whatever, can you, ATO, help us out (laughs) in looking at this person? And the restrictions around us doing that are extraordinary. I'd love to find out more about that because you do have... I think the public are questioning the trust institutions and the, and the ethics of holding data at the moment. There's a big documentary coming out on Netflix uh, about Facebook post Cambridge Analytica. And, um, maybe that's a separate interview that we can sit down and have a chat about. But I'm curious to know is the digital transformation has been a part of the past five years. What's the next five years look like for the ATO? What's on the agenda? Well, I think as the digital transformation has occurred, people's expectations have gone up dramatically more. <laughs> well, as, so, as for, for practitioners out there using technology, it's the same thing. I, I, I think it's going to be more of the same. It's going to be quicker. When we first brought in uh, MyTax and people found the experience, uh, if they really had wages and salaries and some bank interest and dividends, it's all there. And they might have just inserted one or two deductions or, or none and press submit, they thought, wow, we'd never got so many positive comments before on anything we'd ever done. But what that meant was people were ringing up the day later saying, well, where's my refund? Because the uh, the ease of lodging was so quick that they thought, well, you should be able to put my refund, not realising that we'd have to do some analytics and there's a process and all of that. And that was a very interesting, you know, consequence of offering a much uh, quicker uh, service to people was their expectation, therefore, increases uh, as well. So I think tapping into natural systems will be a big deal in into the future so that you'll have already seen that a little bit with STP and payroll so that you make a payroll, a payday and information automatically from your software comes to us. So what are the other things that we can do to help businesses by tapping into their natural systems? Is it their business bank account where everything that goes in is income, everything that comes out is a business expense. There are all of those sort of things that we have to look at to make 
attacks just happen for people? There's a lot of focus in this for individuals. You know, why don't individuals just have a, a return sent to them? In New Zealand, that's what pretty much happens for a large part of their individual population because you can't get work-related deductions in New Zealand. Right. So that just takes out that whole deduction side. So the pre-filling of wages, uh, interest, dividends, all happens and there's no deduction. So I think about 60% or so of individuals in New Zealand don't need to lodge a tax return. So when you look at that model of business model I was talking about before, they would not have a business in New Zealand. There are no uh, high volume, low margin, simple tax returns done in New Zealand because there aren't any of those needed to be lodged. The uh, inland revenue over there does the return, sends it to the person and says, you need to pay X amount by this date or you will be getting this refund on this date. Uh, so how can – so it's a little bit on the individual side, how can we get more pre-fill? But on the business side also, how can we rely on the systems that are already operating in their business to comply with their tax obligations? That's where the technology will be looking at over the next five years. And this, does this spark even closer collaboration with your MYOB, Zeros, Intuits, the predominant systems that businesses are using? I think that's absolutely right. We actually now have a separate market segment, digital service providers. We never did before. We used to sort of talk about intermediaries, you know, like tax agents yes. and uh, software providers, as we used to refer to them. Now we've got intermediaries, but we've got digital service providers as a different business segment, a market segment with a market, you know, uh, a leadership so that we can work with them. Because more and more part of the credentialising and authentication of businesses is going to be through their software. So when you log on to your software and your business, you are logging on through the online services to the tax office. So a tax uh, agent uh, only needs to log on once, they only need the one screen. There's a lot of taking away of re-keying of information. So once this is all sort of in and once agents are used to it, I think there should be a, an ability to have a, a better margin on some of the work they're doing at that simpler end because people, clients don't like to pay for what they can't really see or think about. So a lot of this back office stuff is hard to charge much for. So if you can charging a certain fee now but you take some of the effort out, well, you can maybe maintain the fee and get a bit better margin, that you probably deserve a better margin I, I think for that, the work that you do. I reckon that's already validated in the market, actually. I know a firm up in Newcastle who digitised as much as they can about 10 years ago, one of the most innovative firms in Australia that I'm aware of, and they think that they achieve 60% better margins than what they did pre-technology. 60%. Well, at that level, well, obviously, you'd be sharing some of that with your clients and taking a better margin yeah. yourself because... I think part of the problem we're facing, as I alluded to before, a lot of people are working a lot of hours and not getting the return. The margin is not good enough. So how can we work with 
you know, professional associations and tax agents to make sure we're delivering what they need to do their business efficiently and effectively. We've also got to realise that we do have a huge uh, system with a lot of moving parts, an enormous amount of data coming through the systems now more than ever before, not only with the single-touch payroll information coming, but with all the data exchanges, the country-by-country reporting, the common reporting system, all that enormous amount of information that's now coming from uh, other jurisdictions uh, is all hitting our systems. Not all of the systems are as new as we would like them to be. So it's not like there is one big computer, why don't you just upgrade it and make it newer? There is a, a, a huge number of parts to that a lot of moving parts, some of which are quite old, and we're going through a very detailed process of prioritising what we need to renew to provide better resilience to our overall system. Uh, and this is, this is an incredibly difficult and expensive project. Now, if I said to government, why don't you give us $500 million a year for the next four years, we'll have a great system for tax agents, right? We would have a much better, <laughs> a much more resilient system. Well, government has priorities, so they're not going to give us $500 million a year for the next four years for us to build the whiz-bang system to service agents. So we have to deal within our own funding envelope. We've got to make priorities in those decisions. We recognise agents are a hugely important partner partnership for us to make the, the system work, but it's no system is going to be perfect. And we do get some stones thrown at us when something didn't work or a date was wrong on a letter or, you know what, that's going to happen. That will happen. There will always be little things that go wrong. So I just ask agents to sometimes think of the much bigger picture and think of the volume and stress and the moving parts that we have in this enormous system. So if one or two things don't look right to you, well, I'm sorry, but I can't guarantee that there won't be things like that into the future. Taking it forward again, so specifically thinking about the tax agent community, what are three priorities? Well, look, One of the main priorities is for us to bed down what we've already been doing. So we've got to bed down the online services, make sure that all the agents are on board with that. We've also got to have the transition away from OSKEY, which is that old-fashioned computer-specific authentication process so that you can, and it's, it's happening now, but we've got to make sure it's covered. So better online services, by having a better authentication system, you can do it anywhere. That's That transportability of your work does depend on how you can access our systems. And then thirdly, is to have a really good look with the assistance and the partnership of tax agents to say, well, now that we've got what we've got, you know, the old pothole that people used to refer to the portals, although some people are now nostalgically talking about uh, 
you know, the old portal and how good that was. <laughs> the glory but, days. Uh, the glory days. <laughs> so we've done a, a whole new system of online services that are embedded in your software that have taken out a lot of uh, excess repetitive work and we've given you a, a, an easier authentication. Well, what is it next? How, how can we work with you into the next stage of digitisation to help you provide a service to your clients that is cost-effective and does allow you to make a decent margin so you're happy and will stay in the profession? Another huge change internationally that's going to be coming down the pipeline is e-invoicing. What impact do you think that's going to be on, I don't know if it'll tidy up the black economy, but on particularly the small medium part of the Australian business world? Yeah, it's not so much a tax issue. It's really an efficiency issue for business. So where we can provide a role is to have a register of some form, whether it's the Australian business register or whether if uh, we take on some more of the ASIC registers, that we can identify who are small businesses. Because you've now got state governments, you've now got federal government, you've now got some large corporations saying, I want to pay my invoices from small businesses within 21 days, say. But how do they know what's a small business? <laughs> so, they, so they've got to either uh, manually ask those uh, suppliers and that's why the register that we could have could well be like a lookup function that we have for ABN. Software providers, again, digital service providers have got built into this ABN lookup. So when you enter a new person, it looks up their ABN. Yes, it's current. Yes, it's they have an ABN and that's their ABN. Done. Well, maybe there's something similar to that, uh, and this is in its early stages, about an e-invoicing e would facilitate this with a proper register so that small businesses could be paid much more rapidly on a much stronger foundation. E-invoicing stands to make doing business a lot easier, but not all RegTech is focused on ease of business. A key part of regulation is protecting the public from criminal activities, and as we're about to hear, accountants are being thrust into this new area of regulation through new anti-money laundering rules. Joining us now are Anthony Cooper from Arctic Intelligence and Milan Cooper from First AML. Let's start by hearing from Anthony. I guess there's a there's a higher purpose around money laundering. Like there is a significant social issue. The Australian Crime Commission uh, estimate that costs the Australian economy fifty billion dollars a year, and only one percent of criminal proceeds are ever ever recovered. So there's a lot of money that is being used and absorbed by you know, organised crime gangs and, and obviously there's a huge social impact for money laundering. So, you know, you, you've got a lot of, you know, ice addiction and a lot of, like, social problems that, that result from that, domestic violence and so on. So I think, you know, there's there's a higher purpose to actually trying to solve this problem and really to trying to solve the money laundering issue. Accountants in New Zealand, you're caught under the legislation and it's expected that Australia isn't too far behind. This makes for an interesting situation. Most of the RegTech we've covered seeks to make it quicker and easier to do the things you're already doing. But what if you need to do something new? Anthony explains what the new AML rules do. 
anti-money laundering and counter-terrorism financing or countering the financing of terrorism, whichever country you're, you're in, is basically a, a set of requirements that apply to a whole series of businesses that provide what they call designated services, so opening accounts on behalf, holding money in custody and things like that. So in Australia, there's a table of 54 designated services, and if you provide any one of those services, you're essentially caught under the legislation. And once you're caught under the legislation, you're required to develop an anti-money laundering program. And essentially, there's there's a whole series of activities that fall underneath an anti-money laundering uh, compliance program. That sounds like a lot of new admin, but let's take a technology lens to doing this work. Joining us is Milan Cooper. At First AML, we've developed a platform for streamlining the customer due diligence process. And it's sort of twofold. Um, one is it acts as a, an, an efficient record-keeping system so you can keep track of all your customers and the status of the customer due diligence and all the identity records, etc. Uh, but we also offer a customer due diligence as a service conjunction with that platform. So what we've found is that following individuals up for their customer due diligence identity records is hugely time-consuming. No one um, wants to do it. No one wants to do it. It's, it's really um, it's seen as a bit of a pain for everyone involved. So part of our proposition is um, we make it easy for the individuals getting verified. So we use online identity verification tools uh, so they, they can get verified without having to run off to a JP or a lawyer to get a document certified. So part of the challenge here is how can you efficiently verify all these people uh, and not drown in paperwork? It is creating a massive administrative burden on accounting practices here in New Zealand. Uh, there's a lot they need to do to comply and uh, there's a mountain of paperwork uh, if you're sort of doing things the traditional way. What specifically, what things being done the traditional way get caught up by AML? So AML legislation here in New Zealand requires you to know your customer and conduct customer due diligence. And so when your customer is a complex entity, so perhaps a limited company or a trust, there are multiple individuals associated with those entities that need to go through the customer due diligence process. And what that means is verifying the identities of those customers. At times it means verifying the source of wealth of that entity. So it creates uh, a huge requirement for these accounting practices to uh, collect information about their customers and their customers' wealth. New regulation, using a technology-first solution, that can sound intimidating. Anthony and Millen have some tips about how we can think about this and how we can use tech to solve the problem. AML's hard. Everyone is finding it to be um, you know, quite the challenge and I would suggest do consider looking at options for some of the solutions out there in the marketplace to to help streamline things and make it easy. An important uh, thing for accountants is um, there is an opportunity cost associated with your time spent on AML. So if if you are spending you know an hour a day uh, following up clients for identity records when that could be a billable hour, then perhaps that's not the best use of your time. And um, there are ways you can make this more streamlined.
don't be scared about it. I think um, like when the regulations first came out in Australia 12 years ago, there was very little capacity in the market in terms of skilled practitioners and, and there was very little technology to, to actually assist regulated entities. So I think over the last decade or more, there's you know, a lot of innovation. There's been a lot of, you know, there's a lot of skilled and experienced people in the, in the marketplace as well. So there's now the tools to actually help businesses get across their compliance so I think that would be my tip, just to um, look at the technologies that are out there and that can save a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of angst. Well, that's just about it for this episode on RegTech, where it comes from, where it's going, and what's happening on our doorstep right now. But for many of us, using technology is new. So I asked Ron Lesh what his tips are for using technology. Oh, look, I think tip one is find your technology stack. Find the applications that do what you need them to do for your business. Second, beat the hell out of those applications. Use every single function that you can possibly use to automate the tasks that you need to do. And thirdly, and most importantly, bring your staff along for the ride. Because if you don't have your team on board, you're never going to have the implementation of, of the technologies to be successful.